This is Stephanie Nelson, host of the Pivotal People podcast. We have great conversations with all kinds of interesting people who are making a difference in the world. Follow us and leave a review if you like this episode so that more people can find us. Thanks for listening. I'd like to welcome Mina Mora to the Pivotal People podcast. If you don't know Mina, I'll tell you he's a whole lot of things. He's an ordained minister. He's a public speaker. He's a journalist. He writes articles for all kinds of Christian publications. Mina, I might get this number wrong, but you've interviewed over 500 people, including two presidents. Lots of people you know. He's also an executive producer, and he's an author. He came out with a book this year. And I just want to welcome him. I met Mina because he's a journalist and I did an interview with him. But he's one of those people, and I don't meet these kinds of people that often. I call them like they're a layer, an onion with layers. So every time every time you get together with them, you discover something new because they're humble and they don't put all this in front of themselves. They're all about connecting with other people. So we have to work a little harder to pull out all their cool, special things. So anyway, I was excited because he sent me his book and he agreed to be on the podcast. Mina, welcome. I love having you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself, who you do life with and what you're working on right now. Man, it's got to be here with you. It's like kind of one of those things, you're reading those things, I'm going, who is that person? Uh, Well, basically, I do life with my, my wife and my daughter, Zion. And so we live here in the Kennesaw area outside outside of Atlanta. I think everybody says Atlanta, although they're really not in Atlanta. If that makes sense, Stephanie. Yeah. But because um, we're 45 minutes still removed from Atlanta still, but I'll say Atlanta though. And so that is that makes up a bulk of my day. Then the rest of it is all the other stuff that you just mentioned. Which keeps you busy. And as I said, I consider Mina a pivotal person because he is all about Number one, understanding other people and connecting with them. That's his job. He pastored two people. He speaks to people. I still see you're doing some guest preaching and he writes about people. So he's super focused on other people, which I think is what all of us aspire to be. I mean, that's, that's where life gets good. That's where life gets interesting. That's where we experience fulfillment is this others focus you have. So when Mina wrote a book, What I think is interesting is he wrote about someone else. He didn't write about himself. He wrote about someone else. So the book, which I've read is fabulous, is called The Influential Mentor, How the Life and Legacy of Howard Hendricks Equipped and Inspired a Generation of Leaders. And Howard Hendricks, I'm going to let you tell us who Howard Hendricks is, and then let's dive into the book. Yeah, it's interesting. When I got this this project, I, I think you kind of know how this works, Stephanie. You'll be sitting somewhere doing some stuff, and all of a sudden, somebody will just go, well, hey, what about this? And I think for you, it was Bob Goff, obviously, who's just such a great great human being, obviously. Mm-hmm. Well, the guy named Dr. Gene Getz and I were talking. One day, I was on my way to the pool with my daughter, and he said, hey, have you thought about Howard Hendricks? And I had not, Stephanie, to be honest with you. I'd only heard him speak one time. At that point in time, I didn't even read any of his books, Stephanie. And he's a, he was a professor. Professor at the Theological Seminary. And so if you name 10 of the best speakers out there, you will find seven out of the 10 who he has personally mentored himself. So that's everyone from, you know, 
Jenny Allen, who's a great author, obviously, to Tony Evans, to Andy Stanley, to Robert Jeffers. I mean, they're all in there, to David Jeremiah. The list just goes on and on and on and on, Stephanie. And because so they, were all, they were all students of his at They were Dallas. all students of his. Some of them were. Some of them were not. Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages, he had never been to Dallas Theological Seminary, but had been mentored by him and inspired. And so it's really interesting how some of them were, you know, front row seats in his class. There are some others who are not front row seats. Andy Stanley was not a front row seat student, but there were others who were not, uh, were back row seats. Sorry, Andy. Oh, no, he's done okay. Uh, yeah, he's done okay though to himself. And so, but they just gravitated toward Howard. And not, not just that, Stephanie, he was also known as Mr. Dallas as well. And so because he was so into all kinds of things from sports. He was a chaplain for Dallas, but not Dallas, not the Serenity folks, but for Dallas Cowboys, the worst team in American history. But he was. <laughs> this one yesterday, which is like, I'm seeding, Stephanie, seeding. So he was their chaplain as well. And so but he was a guy who influenced lots of people who you probably have never heard of, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. Stephanie, which which is what made this so exciting to actually do because it was one of those things where I was having to dig way back and at the same time bring someone who was so influential, so incredible into modern culture. And so it was a challenge because Howard Hendricks is not alive anymore. He's not. He's been passed away for a decade. A decade? Yeah. So I didn't go to seminary. I'm not an ordained pastor. I didn't know who Howard Hendricks was. And you read this book and you're like, oh gosh, I wish I had just heard him speak once. I want you to tell me, because I'm not sure I'm completely clear. He was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary for 40 years? For 40 years. And if you've been to Chick-fil-A, if you listen to, to Family Life, if you've done anything with Promise Keepers or Walk Through the Bible, or if you heard any of the folks who I just mentioned, he has impacted your life in some way. I'll give you an example, Stephanie, the vice president of Chick-fil-A at the time, would literally go to, would literally fly to Dallas on a regular basis just to learn from Howard. Mm. And he ended up telling me that their, that their uh, program they use for leaders came from Howard, in fact. Mm. And so it's one of those things where he was very influential in an incredible way. So when I think in your book, you talk about, you know, one point someone said, maybe Andy Stanley said, he was such an incredible speaker, obviously. He was different. So we're going to talk about how he was different, you know, what set him apart. But he could have been a pastor of a megachurch, you know, multi-site megachurch. Oh, yeah. been. And his response was, but I can influence so many more people. Like yeah. I could leverage and look at all those people who went out and have influenced millions and millions of people through his teaching. And he was so humble and modest. Yeah, it was interesting, Stephanie. It was one of those things where it was Andy Stanley who went to him him and said, hey, you should pastor a church. Like a lot of folks would go to it. And he was just quite frank on my impact is right here in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And although that was a struggle for him early on in his teaching, because when he first gets there, the other professors didn't like him. In fact, they didn't want him there. And so for the first almost half of his teaching, career, he wasn't even necessarily well-liked there. 
at Dallas. And tell us why. Well, I think you said that his class was so popular, but tell us, can you be specific about what was his teaching style? What was different about him? Well, it was very relational. At that point in time, professors were not relational with their students. So it was very relational, you know, and it was different. I mean, it was kind of one of those things where Christian education, which is what he taught, was just not primarily widely known, to be fair. And so he was one, he was one of the first to actually teach that. And so it was one of those things where he was going against the grain in every way, Stephanie. It was, and it's really kind of, I mean, I'll give you one story here. It was in the 1960s. Our country was definitely divided racially. This student comes up uh, to him. He gets to know this student. He applies to get into Dallas. And he doesn't get in, in fact. And so Howard goes, you know what? We've got to make this right. And it's kind of one of those things where at that point in time, he wasn't widely liked by the professors. And so he was putting his neck just on the line, you know, trying to make this happen. And that student happens to be Tony Evans. So there were just a number of ways in that, you know, he was just different. Stephanie. I mean, I, and I can't imagine being him and being different in almost every way against the people who you need to fit in with, in fact. Right. So if Tony Evans, I mean, think about, talk about pivotal. Yeah. If Tony Evans had been rejected from seminary, I mean, look at the ministry he went on to have and all of his children. I yeah. mean, John, Jonathan Evans was on our podcast, Priscilla Schreier. I mean, that was amazing the impact Tony Evans has had. Yeah, everything was, was just so on the line. And then I'll take you back a little bit. I mean, when he steps down from Dallas Cowboys, you know, being their chaplain, it's one of those things where he reaches out to Tony to do that role, in fact. And so now Tony has passed that on to Jonathan. Mm-hmm. And right. so it's like, it just keeps getting passed on. At the same time, he was this incredible connector that, you know, a lot of people may not know of once again, but more than likely you've been impacted in some way by his life. Though. Okay. So now someone in your respect has said, you've got to write a book about Howard Hendricks. And by the way, Howard Hendricks said while he was alive, no one's writing a biography about Right. Him. That was another thing too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you didn't call it a biography. What did you call it? Like a journey? What was your... Yeah. You know, it was one of those things where he would never would have wanted one. And so it's kind of one of those things where I I liked that he never wanted one, to be fair. But on the other hand, I was going, okay, like, how do we balance this, this great life mixed in with so many great principles that he did? And so we came up with a style of how did he mentor others? Because we could trace that back in such an incredible way to, to literally go, man, he mentored here, here, and here. And we came up with a number of just great principles on not just how he mentored, but how we can do it too. You know, what I liked about your book was that I love stories. So so how do you research someone who isn't alive anymore? I mean, so so much of your book, you talked to the people we're talking about, these big Christian leaders today who were influenced by Howard, the interviews you had with Andy yeah. Stanley. And, and I thought that's what made the book so interesting is hearing his students who we all know and respect now as Christian leaders talk about how Howard impacted their life and what they took from his teaching style. You said that he taught Christian education. So most of us who haven't gone to seminary, we don't really know what you mean by that. 
most of the seminary classes were like heavy theology. So theology. Yeah. So Christian education was more just the practical hands-on. How do we make this understandable for the average person? How do we make this appealing for the average person? And that's what he did. So it's kind of one of those things where, you know, you look at his life and he really wanted to input his life in the sense of, hey, not just that you go and just teach the Bible, which is very important, obviously, but how do you influence and impact others who have may never heard about the Bible or about Jesus, in fact. And so he was adamant about that. His spiritual gift was on evangelism. And so it's kind of what he, you know, I would say that was just not his gift. It was just above and beyond a gift. In fact, he had a, a, a seminary president, the very first one of Dallas, come to him and said, you may need counseling because of this, because he loved it. Because he was too evangelical. Oh, so much. Yeah. They were like, man, you, you want to do this way too much. How do we get you? In fact, to even say it to somebody back then, we say that now, we kind of laugh at it. But back then in that day and in, in, in age, you know, it wasn't a widely popular thing to tell someone, you know, in the 50s and the 60s, hey, you need to go to counseling. It just wasn't widely known to do that. And so, you know, he suffered a lot, I would say, Stephanie, in the sense of that he was different. He was unique. He was widely, I would say, popular and influential in a day and age where social media wasn't even around. So just kind of imagine that, too. Yes, that would be challenging. I'm thinking, when did Billy Graham come on the scene? You know, did he connect with Billy Graham? He did, in as fact. As an evangelist? They were good friends. In fact, this is how I got to rewind here a little bit. I know we're kind of running short of time. How the book really gets started, Stephanie, I mean, to be really clear about this was I was going to a used bookstore, found the book in the free bin area. I mean, still don't know how it got there. But I remember picking up this book, and Billy, and what, what caught my eye to it was Billy Graham wrote the foreword on the book. And so, I mean, anyone who knows publishing knows that Billy Graham did not do a lot of forwards. In fact, I think like a handful, if that. And so when I saw that Billy Graham wrote the foreword, Stephanie, I did go, this is interesting. Now, it would be two more years later <laughs> before the book even came up against it. Like, literally... Put the book mm-hmm. on my shelf, didn't think much about it. And then two years later, I get this assignment and I happen to go, wait a minute, I picked up a free book here. And wow. okay. where is that on the shelf? And so I went and dug that book up and it's not even in print in it anymore. But Billy Graham and him were pretty close friends. And so the Cove, which is where Billy Graham's uh, training center is, Howard helped think of that too. Oh, wow. And how many people that has reached. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting. What's so interesting is what a contrast his style was to today's, which says, if you want to reach people, you have to have a social media platform. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be reaching with videos. You have to. And he's like, you know what? I am going to be the supporter. I'm going to be the person encouraging. I'm going to be the person teaching. And, uh, you know, for anyone who's behind the scenes, I think that's a really good message. How, what an impact we can have being behind the scenes. Yeah. And it seemed like to me from all the research that I gathered that he didn't get caught up on not being the main thing. 
So mm. it wasn't like he was sitting around going, I gotta be on the front row here. He just didn't seem to to gravitate towards that. In fact. Well, what I think is interesting, he must have truly had, well, obviously, a clear understanding from God that he was on the right path. Because if I was a professor at a school and all yeah. of my peers didn't like me, I'm not sure I would stay there very long. No. And, and there were moments, to be clear, that he did want to leave, but he did not. He stood true to this is what I've been called to do and to be. And that to me is quite extraordinary. When he could have left, he could have been a pastor somewhere. He decides to actually stay. Let's talk about you. Let's let's do some of the layers of the onion here. So I'm fascinated by, I actually saw you did some guest preaching not too long yeah. ago. When I say you're a journalist, Mina is a journalist for Christian publications. And he, I'm not going to name drop here, but he is interviewed all of the Christian leaders that we all know. And I've done an interview with him and it's a very fun interview. I mean, he he actually reads your book. He actually knows about it. He he asks questions where you're like, oh gosh, thank you so much for even knowing that. So you obviously are very good as a journalist and well, you could easily pastor a church and you also do executive producing, which by the way, is behind the scenes and it's highlighting somebody else when he works on videos for Christian leaders who are perhaps teaching Bible studies. So you do all of this kind of behind the scenes support stuff, but you're still a good pastor. So how do you juggle all of that? Yeah, I don't know if I'm good at all those things, Stephanie, but I appreciate it. But you know, <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where, Stephanie, to make a long story short, I, I seven years ago started a second act. And I would tell anyone out there that no matter how old you are, where you're at, if God's calling you to something, it's okay to start afresh and anew at 40 or at 50 or at 60. And God can make up for those lost, quote unquote, lost years. And so literally, I started this second act seven years ago and didn't even know the second act, Stephanie, to be fair with you. Uh, sometimes people know kind of what those are. I did not know it, it was that at, at the time anyway. And so got fired. Literally, Stephanie walked into my boss's office, and I know they say that you not you should not be surprised when you get fired. I was surprised, <laughs> um, literally. I thought I'd be doing that, doing there for the rest of my life. The funny thing is, though, Stephanie, I'd have to, to tell you that I wasn't very excited about it. I mean, it was kind of one of those things where I said, well, this is, this is what we're going to do because we got to just do it. And had they not pushed me off of the ledge, per se, I'm pretty sure none of this would have even happened. And mm. so sometimes I would tell your, you know, your great audience there, it's okay to be pushed off the ledge because that's when sometimes it's almost like being, being pushed into a pool. It's scary diving into it, obviously. But once you kind of get into the water, you really grasp real quick, I got to swim. And so it was one of those things, or drown, I guess you got two options there. And, um, but it's one of those things where anybody who's been pushed off off a diving board usually enjoyed it, typically, and they swam in it. And so I just decided, you know, that's what I'm going to do. And not thinking it would be all these interviews later and definitely not thinking, you know, to U.S. presence. Uh, that just wasn't yeah. what I was thinking there. But the Lord can make up for that lost time. And I look back and I go. I probably should have started doing this 
20 years ago, um, but was too afraid to actually do it. That is great advice. And isn't that the truth? So many times we're afraid of something. I, I heard your quote when you preached recently. It was, God can do more in a minute than we can do in a lifetime. Oh, there's so much more in, in that. I mean, he, he really can, Stephanie. He doesn't need us to, to make it happen, but he uses us anyway, which is amazing to me. But he really can. So I, I would tell anyone, hey, you don't have to feel like you are trapped in a first act if God's calling you to another one. And another one is okay. And you learned how to swim. I think you learned how to do more than swim. Yeah, I don't know, but it just, I mean, I can remember though, Stephanie, I'd say, I'm saying this to the, to, the, to, to your, your great audience here. You know, it's one of those things that, that, that when you are shell-shocked, you do feel like, okay, is there anything like, can we make this happen? And I like to tell people this part of the story because it's kind of, I don't want to tell people this part of the story, but I think it's, I think someone needs it out, needs it out there to say, say in fact. So I get terminated, Stephanie. Then the boss that hired me wasn't in the room when it happened. And so I get home, Stephanie, and I get a text message from him that just says, hey, sorry, things didn't work out. And in your mind, Stephanie, you're just going, uh, <laughs> this is even more bizarre. It's a lot bigger than that. And that and you plus, know I mean? it's plus, plus, that was a church. Okay. Yeah, so there's church. So nothing is worse than church hurt, right? That's hard stuff. So I would tell anyone that, you know, whether you're fired in person or partially fired by text message, you're going to get through it. You're going to get through it. I mean, it is it is going to happen. So it's, you know, it's going to work out. It really is. And uh, we won't go into details, but I know the details of the story. And I'm just going to tell you, he was fired for doing the right thing. We're yeah. standing up for the marginalized. All right, folks. So we'll just leave it at that. But yeah. Um, yeah, he could have compromised his integrity. He could have acted like a Pharisee, but he didn't. So I appreciate that. You know, Sonny, what, what I learned from Howard and others is that God really does work at our worst moment. That seems like our worst moment, Stephanie. I'm sure there's someone out there listening who may be, you know, going through a hard time right now like are they going to get through and i like to, to to offer a little bit of hope here that yes you are it's gonna work out even though you know all the odds are stacked against you it's gonna work out you know why it's gonna work out seven a lot of people you know depending on on where you came from it's gonna work out because we have a good father better than our earthly father in fact which for dads a lot like me who love, you know, I love my daughter tremendously, sometimes hard to understand, Stephanie, because I just go, well, I can't see how much greater this could be. Well, for God, that's how much greater it can be. And I think that is a beautiful way to end this conversation, which I just thoroughly enjoy and told you, Mina doesn't know this, but he's my new friend. He's well, not going to get rid of me because there's more layers of the onion here. But I just want to thank you so much for Spending your time in the show notes, I'm going to have a link to your book. People can order it, of course, on Amazon. It's The Influential Mentor. And I would recommend that people read it because it's such a good example of how we can really leverage ourselves in other people's lives without having to be out front, without having to get the credit. And God knows what we're doing. 
And I'll tell you, there's a lot of freedom in that. You don't have to be the one performing. You can be the one encouraging. So I appreciate that. And I look forward to our next lunch together. You got it. I'm all in. Stephanie, this has been so great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. We hope you're inspired. And if you like the episode, please take a moment to go to your podcast platform and follow us and leave a review so more people can find us. Now go out and be the pivotal person that you are.